You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Welcome to the Over a Drink podcast, episode one, part two, the unplanned episode. So we are flying the plane and building it at the same time here at Over a Drink, and Jess and I got talking during our interview, during our conversation, and listening back and in post-production just realized that it was too long. And so without taking away from the authenticity and re-recording and doing the whole thing, we decided just to divide it in half. And so most episodes... I mean, I can't matter-of-factly say that this won't happen again because conversation goes where conversation goes. But the the majority of these podcasts will not be this long. But here we are with episode two, or I guess you could say part two of episode one. And we're going to jump back in. Yeah. And then we went and, but I promised her, Hey, I'm going to, we're going to cross that road. I'm going to take a season of rest leading up to our wedding. The next couple of weeks, we're going to go on our honeymoon. We got married May 31st. I told her July, I would start actually, no, she told me that July I would start looking for jobs in like, in like not a negative way. Cause like I wanted to start looking for them now. Um, yeah. I, and she's like, no. You're not going to go back into a job where you're miserable. You're not going to go back into a job that you hate. Um, and Just to say that you have a job. Just to say that I have a job and to provide for my wife because it was funny earlier. Not funny. God in this season, I think there's something about um, we're in the Beatitudes and it's um, blessed are those who mourn. He's like blessed are like he draws near to the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. It's not a Beatitude, but it's a verse and <laughs> it's God breathed. And um, I think this season I truly felt that I look back at it and I'm like, I miss that season. Cause God was like sitting, if not next to me, like on my lap yeah. <laughs> or I was sitting on his truly. And because I remember pacing the halls at a prayer night one night being like, God, how am I going to provide for my wife? How am I going? Like, and like clearly feeling like you're not, I am. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant until I was unemployed because I was, there was a job that I wanted. Uh, I was given advice to work for somebody, not for um, work for the job, but work for the people. Because if you love who you work for, then you'll love your job. And um, the Atwoods, Zach Atwood's parents were potentially maybe creating a position. And I sat with them in June for three hours and we talked about my wife and my marriage and their marriage and their grandson and their grandkids and their son and their testimonies. And then we talked for 30 minutes about the job and I walked away and I was like, I want to work for them. But, what you actually said was, babe, I don't even care if they hire me. I just want to be their friend. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. And I just, I wanted to be their friend and that's what, Jess and I circled that job and we said, I actually said yes to two other jobs, two or three. Um, and then we prayed about it and leading up to starting, I was like, Hey guys, I'm sorry. I, I just don't have a piece about this. Um, but 
it took six months because of just circumstantial. They traveled a lot, the job itself. But in those six months, we were living in the green by maybe $100 after paying bills. After, um, And I sat at home and pouted. <laughs> no. No, I did. I did for a while. Uh, I mean, I got up every morning and I prayed and I, I, get, I spent, I was, my alarm was at six and I have prayer journals, stacks of them, of yeah. me journaling to God, a lot of cuss words, <laughs> uh, a lot of tears and a lot of like, and why? your life though, that was, that was probably one of the most profound things for you to set as a foundation of our marriage. And for me to see you, I mean, you fought, babe. Like, you fought hard. And I remember waking up probably a couple hours after you, let's be honest, um, every morning and and knowing. I remember you waking up and me being like, it's like 6 o'clock. I'm going to be sleeping. And walking out and you have your beats on and your computer in front of you or your prayer journal and Bible in front of you and um, and just knowing like he knows like, the battle that's going between his ears is probably so much more than this but one of the main things is that he is not providing quote unquote for his wife but I can't imagine a, a greater provision that you you set for our family um, on those days of just sitting and and asking and, and, and pleading with the Lord for direction and answers and um, healing of your mental health and just all the different things that you were facing and we were facing together. And I, I, I just really don't even have words. I'm like stammering over <laughs> explaining this, but it was, it was the greatest gift that you could have given to me as your wife. And it, there was no performance. Like you didn't get up and do that so that I would wake up and see you doing that. You did it because you were desperate for the Lord. Um, if I wouldn't have, I literally that day, would have sat and just destroyed myself mentally when you went to work. Yeah. Like I needed to be like, Hey God, <laughs> help. Yeah. Like, cause there were times like you guys, I would, I remember there was one point when, I, so I call it a wet blanket. Um, and it's when I get in these d- bouts of depression um, that generally stems from eating because it goes from eating to anxiousness where I feel like Jess has started to pick up signs, but I, I rub my fingers or I tap or I my skin feels like it's vibrating and I like want to rip it off. And that then leads into these wet blanket modes where my heart rate slows. It's like a complete opposite. It goes from heart racing to heart rate slow. And I don't care what I say to people. I don't care the repercussions. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to be around anybody. And I was in one of these modes and I just remember laying on our, on our little 700 square foot apartment, 750. She corrects me because it's probably bigger than that, but it's like 800. 800. (laughs) Um, and with my head in her lap, just ugly crying 
and she's like petting my hair and like we she prayed over me and you guys like i i think that there's this thing i look back to those moments and i know that like that and i've heard stories of men where you're i'm going to go through a lot worse than a, an unemployment stint in the next however long i'm alive but to know that my wife like a can handle me crying but b like loved me through it like that yeah built a foundation. I felt so silly. You guys, you know how silly it feels to let your brain control you physically? <laughs> like in a way where like thoughts manifest in such a way that they control you. I felt so dumb. Um, and I hated it. And I still, we barely were paying rent. There were times, just testimonies to God here, but like, we weren't going to make rent the next day. And there was a prayer night at the Lakewood campus. And I am on my face like, God, I'm saying no to these jobs that you're telling me to wait on another job. I'm saying no. And we're not going to pay rent. <laughs> and my dad calls me. He goes, hey, bud, did you were, were you expecting something in the mail? This is at the prayer night. And I'm like, no. Why would it have been shipped to you? And he's like, it's from the NCAA. Do you care if I open it? And I'm like. No. And he opened it and I had a check to the penny for what we owed uh, for rent from the NCAA um, because I was in a video game. I was in NCAA 13. There's a, a kid, there's a number 88 from Parker, Colorado that I was being um, paid for uh, and it paid for rent. Uh, there, the, a couple months later, we needed money for something and i remember praying that morning i think our i think we needed tires or something with our car yeah went out and we uh i was sitting like ugly crying again because like just frustrated and jess came out that morning and she prayed for me and she prayed that god would give me a little gift that day to remind me that he that he sees me and that he loves me and all day no gifts I didn't get any gifts from God that day <laughs> until later that night where Jess got a message on her Instagram saying, Hey, um, I, what's your Venmo? I want to, I want to, I've been, you shared your, you and your husband's story from stage a couple months ago and I've been praying through this and, um, can you just send me your Venmo? And Jess and I have this tension of like, it's weird accepting money from people that we don't know. Um, Jess will always say like, why, why are they doing this? Because of how I like my worship leading. Like I don't lead worship for this reason. Mm -hmm. um, but we kind of just were like, well, if, if she's being called, if she's being called in prayer to step out in faith, who are we to deny her in that? So like we gave her our Venmo and we woke up the next morning to a thousand dollars and the caption was just a little gift and <laughs> we we both just lost it puddles <laughs> um but y'all like god provided all the way through my unemployment and he told me he would yeah and so fast forward a little bit i got the job in december and i sell ppe i sell gloves February, the national, like the worldwide pandemic, once in a ever 
the world shuts down happened. And my job became the most secure job in the world. Mm-hmm. Truly. Uh, because everybody needed gloves. I sat in a coffee shop and I didn't make an outward phone call. I still don't today. I mean, I, I call to manage relationships, but the demand is so much higher than the supply that the Lord blessed me in a way. Like if I would have be at any of those jobs that I almost accepted, I would have been the first one gone when layoffs happened. And yeah. here we are. Um, Just and miracle after miracle. Yeah. And so that, that put a, uh, it treated, um, the wound a little bit, but it didn't he- like, I, I was just managing my anxiety and my depression and my eating disorder because the two are, are repercussions of the one. Um, my eating disorder is what sends me into these bouts. Um, Jess and I, there was a breaking point for me, um, where I, we did this thing through our supplement store where they did a summer eight week. This is the middle of the pandemic. Jess and I were vegan for like five months because we were fast. We were fasting for a home. Uh, and we decided that we were going to fast everything fun. And so, um, (laughs) we had no meat and no cheese and no alcohol. Uh, we, we were vegan. (laughs) Uh, and for eight weeks, the thing was, is you did this in body scan at the beginning, eight weeks, you weigh yourself and in body at the end. We went for two walks a day. We were doing this stupid deck of cards thing where each card was like a certain amount of burpees and shout um, out to Casey. Mexico. Shout out to Casey. It's amazing. I don't mean it's <laughs> stupid, but like it's stupid because in the moment I hated you. Oh my um, gosh. But we did this deck of cards once a day. We're doing burpees and push ups and sit ups and not eating anything fun. <laughs> and I went back after eight weeks of that and I had put on seven seven pounds, or seven pounds and 3% body fat. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving home and it destroyed me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I was like, what the hell am I going to do then? What, like, how can I, and I hate how I look. I hate how I look. I hate how I feel. And I I am literally following bodybuilder type routine regimen, obsessive, and I still can't lose weight. And this is the kind of control that scared me, the control it had over my brain. I contemplated on that drive home. I remember sitting in my parking lot after this, but I wanted to, to drive headfirst into t- traffic. I legitimately had uh, scenarios in my head of like, how would Jess deal with it? Like, how would my parents deal with it? Like, I don't want to be here anymore. Because if I can't put up with, like, if I have to put up with the stuff going in between my ears for another day, I'm, I, I would rather die. I would rather die because I am exhausted. And I just sat in our my car in the parking lot and just, I was scared because I, that was for the first time, well, I had thought about it at Vanderbilt too, but first time since then that I was like, I want to die. <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. Um, and God showed up again. <laughs> um, Shocker. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> um, 
So I thought it was maybe my thyroid that I was, I was like, okay, maybe my thyroid, but I'd had it checked. So I went to go get my thyroid checked again. And the doctor's like, well, it's not your thyroid. And I'm like, cool. What is it then? She goes, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. And so she tested my blood mm-hmm. um, for, against everything. And it turns out that for the last five years, well, since Vanderbilt, um, I was making more estrogen than testosterone because I was not making testosterone. <laughs> Zero. And she, the doctor looked at me crying and was like, I'm so sorry. She goes, you've literally been a menopausal woman for five years. Well, you've been living like one. Living like. (laughs) Jess would beg to differ. She's like, I lived with you. You were a monster. Uh, But it immediately, like, praise God, those wet blanket modes went away. Yeah, that was. The anxiety has been put so far down the line where, like, now I can feel it coming and I'm able to, like, sometimes can capture those thoughts, um, work in progress. Um, I started going to counseling for my eating. That was another huge step again through this whole process of like, I want to help men and I want to like free them of their shame or I want to be a, a resource for them to yeah. find freedom rather. Um, but again, like he's, he would never say this, but just him and his, his honoring of the, the order of things and his humility um, is, it's just outstanding. Uh, but the the first step of going to counseling, I remember you coming home and just being like, this is really hard. This is going to suck. Um, and then another week went by and he went again. And another week went by and he went again. And it broke you down. Yeah. But. I remember coming home the first time <laughs> and feeling like someone had taken my brain out and just squat, like stomped on it and then put it back in my head. And then you're like, how was it? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And I know that was so hard. And I was like, no, I I don't want to talk about it anymore. I've talked about it for the last hour and I need to go to the gym actually. Like I love you so much and I hurt your feelings. You did, but it's okay. But, it, but we the, learned, though, in that moment that I needed to go to the gym after yeah, counseling so that I could process. a little bit, process. Um, but I, I remember the first day that you came home and you're like, I think I have, like, I think I have a tool for this week. This is what I'm going to do. And it was the, the first one was thought stop. Mm-hmm. And, and then the next one. Maybe there was a couple in between, but yeah. then the next one, I remember you coming home. And I decided with Brooke that I'm going to wear three colored shirts that aren't black. And I only wear black. I only ever, if he ever puts on a color, he's like, nope, and takes it off and puts something else that's black on. And I remember my jaw just like, maybe not outside in real life, but in my head, my jaw just dropping and being like, oh my gosh. You are, you're like healing, babe. And, I wore a white shirt to church the other day. 
I know. <laughs> I wore a pink shirt to YA. I know. I'm so proud of you. But it's just, it's crazy. And maybe to you listening, like, that seems really silly. But it, it takes courage to do those things. It takes courage to go to a counselor and say, I am a mess and I need help. And and then not only to be able to sit there and just gush all of the things that are going on in your head, but then to actually put in systems and put in disciplines to be like, I I can't stay this way. The way that I've been living is is basically survival mode. If that, like well, I'm, I'm barely hanging on. And I would rather, the thing that was for me, this is what sent me into counseling. I, I'm okay. I would be okay. I would rather be in pain every single day of my life than to see you in pain. And I saw you for the first time the Lord like opened my eyes to how my eating was affecting you. Mm. And then we found out we were pregnant and God forbid I project my eating on my baby girl. Mm. Kill me now. No. No, no, kill me now. And I I and not that I'll ever be guys I think I'm learning like it's an addiction honestly of like having control and like addicts are always addicts and I think that on my best days, like I've been really good the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, but even I watched a video of myself and I hated it. Oh God, I hated it. I hated how I looked. I hated the angle that they got me at. I didn't want to look at it. And that was really hard. And I was kind of mad at myself for allowing it to control my, my to be like, why? Cause I, I'm, I think it's one of those things that I'm constantly going to be combating. Um, but it is a constant thing. And like that's where yeah. and like that's something that I'm I'm learning and I learned I've learned through this and with you is that you're not going to just be okay instantly. Yeah. And having people around you to hold you accountable to the process of it. Yeah. Is so important. I have friends, my Brother and sister-in-law are who are family, but I have people who, like Corey, the other day I said something about the size of the clothes that I wear, and I said it out loud, and he looked at me, and he was like, dude, a year ago, you hid the tags on your clothes. And so, like, having support. not even from other people. It was for you. Like, you didn't want to know what size no. you were wearing. It no. didn't, you didn't really care what other people thought. But well, they, they wouldn't have known. But I, to me, wearing right. a 2X is like fatty, <laughs> is like how I saw it to which me in crazy. my, which is so wrong. If you like, if you wear a 2X, that is wrong. That, that, that was my like twisted view of the world and self. And like, like being able to process that out loud, there are some gross yeah. things that I've said in that counseling office. To, that I, when I say them, and I'm like, ugh, yeah, do I actually believe them, that? Right, and hearing them out loud, like how liberating yeah. is that and for we'll, you? And we didn't even play on this, but like liberating, uh-huh. like sharing your testimony is liberating. Yeah. I, I sat with men a hundred 
uh, over the last two years and said, hey, tell me your story. I love you. Just let me, let me hear. And s- seeing the light in a guy's eyes like light up when yeah. he's like, hey, I can talk about it. You're not going to judge me for it. And B, there's, you mean you can relate to me? Mm-hmm. I'm not alone in that? That's literally what kept me going. <laughs> That's another thing that we had to deal with because I was not making a whole lot of money when I started doing this. I started doing it when we were, <laughs> uh, when, when we were unemployed, and I bought coffees for guys. And I'm like, I can't really even buy coffee for myself. <laughs> I got, I think, I'll get a water. He uh, can get a mocha. <laughs> he will have a tall drink. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that's just something that I wish I could impart on you is that like you're not alone in it and that's the purpose of this whole thing yeah and so I got on medication for my testosterone who would have ever thought that a 26 year old would need a TRT um, testosterone treatment Uh, (laughs) but here we are and now we are pregnant Mm. and we bought our home. Yeah. And we both have jobs that we love. Mm-hmm. I think that my, there are days that are tough with my eating. Um, there are days that are tough with my, my should haves. Yeah. Um, I think forever I blamed my eating disorder on, why I'm not where I should be. I I had newspaper articles. I just read, and again, this is recruiting, but there was a, a coach for a Power 5 school who said that the tape that I watched on you this last couple weeks is the best tape that I've seen in your recruiting class. I, there were articles, my parents have them all framed, and, or not framed, but scrapbooked, <laughs> where one was like, they listed me as the best hands in the West. And I'm like, I say should have because I see that. I'm like, why well, am I not in the NFL? There are guys who literally received offers to their school that they went to. Their coach, the coach told me this because I told that school no, who are now in the NFL. And I sell gloves. Is this constant whisper that I get. And I'm, I refuse to, I'm working on reframing. That's a term that I'm learning is reframing of, um, it didn't take from me. Uh, I think pridefully I want to be able to say that I was in the NFL. Pridefully I want to say that I made all this money and did all this cool. And like the world says that that is more value. But I had the greatest community. Mm. I have a great church. I live right down the street from my parents and my brother and sister-in-law. I'm married to the woman of my dreams and she's carrying my baby. Mm -hmm. Like I have testimony of things that the Lord protected me from as far as alcohol and women and like even like lust and tender, which is just like in itself a whole nother conversation and like 
the Lord protected me from that by not allowing me to go and live in another city yeah. making a whole lot of money by myself. I didn't know how to behave myself when I made a whole lot of money living in my parents' basement, <laughs> let alone in name an NFL sporting uh, All bets were off city. at that point. Would have been. And so now I, I view it as like, thank God. Yeah. Like, and if I can put purpose, like I, did, I do carry a lot of baggage. Um, I have a lot of pain that I still walk in. Um, I, I think I'm pretty good at hiding it, <laughs> uh, except for when I shout it like today. Um, but yeah. like, I don't think a lot of people, our friends who listen to this will be, I think over the last couple of months, I've talked a lot about mental health on my Instagram, <laughs> yeah. but I think that this, I think this might surprise some people. Um, they don't know our story. They don't know our, cause we were pretty closed book about it. Um, but I don't know. I think it's just important, um, to not give something power that doesn't deserve power. Yeah. Uh, like blessed are those who mourn, not like those who mope. (laughs) Like (laughs) I, I, I'm learning something by RT Kendall. I'm reading a book right now and he talks about how the root of of blessed is congratulations and then from there there's a go across word in hebrew that means uh it means happy and lucky and he breaks it down to basically say like congratulations because you're under the like the dominion of a god who loves you how lucky are you that you get to be chosen by God yeah. and like be happy for that. And mourning how like those who mourn are reminded of how much they need his mercy and need him. So like be happy that you're mourning. Yeah. And I look at my life the last five, six years and like, I have to look at it and say like, I'm blessed because I was under the, the sovereign rule of the Lord under his hand. And he showed so much mercy in times that I should have done a, I should have been in a lot of worse cases. <laughs> and he showed so much mercy to me and was so loving and gentle and kind. And just, he showed his face to me in a way that I am not able to ever experience unless I'm in those circumstances. Right. And now I get to sit across the table from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a, I just have a couple of things I want to ask you, babe. But first, if you're if you're listening to this and you are married, whether you are a man with a, a wife who deals with mental illness um, or a woman who has a husband who deals with mental illness, my listen, like we did not, I did not get this right every time, and he very graciously talks about the highlight moments of when I was super gracious with him. Um, There were times that I would get so fed up and so frustrated and just be like, fine, then sulk. Like, be in your wet blanket mode. Go in your room. Totally disconnect from the world. Like, terrible things came out of my mouth and that I am not proud of. Um, But I think one of the greatest I just keep hearing this over and over again as we're talking, like 
be kind to your spouse. Um, a lot of the times I get so teary talking about it because, like, I don't know how many times Mitch wishes that he could have not been in that posture and wanted everything um, to be okay and 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 to be to be kind to me in those moments. Um, but like the only way to shut it off was just to escape. And they're just like, there's just something within marriage that is such a gift that you get to choose one another in those moments and choose to decide or choose to, to see your spouse for who they are and not the way that they're acting in that moment or like the, the position of weakness that they are displaying. Um, like I know my husband is a faithful, kind, generous human being. And in those moments where he would literally like be on his switch <laughs> while we're our, all of our friends over, or he just won't start rushing his teeth to go to bed because he's like, I just can't, I can't pretend anymore that I'm okay. Um, and everything in my flesh wanted to be like, just fake it. Like just put on a face for a few more hours and be a good host. Um, but there would be days I just have to remind myself, like, this is just what he needs to do right now. And that's okay. And I can be the strong one. I can be the one to entertain our friends for a little bit longer so he can take care of himself or go to sleep so that he can shut his brain off that has been whirling all day long. Um, so be kind to each other. Give each other space and grace. Speak out. Like, be honest and communicate. That is another huge tool that we've used in our relationship. I can't tell you how many times it's been hard for him and me when we're dealing with different things to to be like, this is actually what is going on in my brain right now. But I just want you to know, one, so that it's out of my brain. It's it's like in into the space yeah. <laughs> in time. Um I'm confessing it. The, James 4 says that when we confess our sins to one another, we find healing. And I believe that that is so, so true. And um, so be honest, be vulnerable with each other, and find find safety within one another. Um, and even like an example of that was like on the way to church, What's today? Today's Monday. Yesterday, Jess and I are trying to memorize scripture. And, <laughs> and she was like, okay, your turn. <laughs> and I, I had had a hard morning. I had a pile of clothes sitting by the mirror that I had put, taken off and put on. I had switched my jeans twice. I had literally just, I ended up in my most comfortable of like, joggers like fancy fancy joggers and a black t-shirt and my crocs i think (laughs) and so mentally i was already like not there and she was quizzing me and like (laughs) and like (laughs) and she like corrected me and i instantly got angry 
like, and not for any reason other than my fuse was already at zero, like negative. (laughs) And I caught myself and I was like, Hey, I'm mad right now. And it's not for, because you corrected me on our Bible verse memorization. It's because my brain right now is just already whirling and I'm on the defense mode because it feels yeah. like you're under attack. So like I'm under attack from, I think that my eating, I, I have personified my eating as something separate than I'm trying, I'm removing it from my identity. It is, it is something that I am combating, that we are combating. And it was, I was under attack from it that morning and I wasn't doing a good job of defending myself. So I saw you also as an attack in that moment. And yeah. I, but, but a year and a half ago, I would have just said what I said and been like, deal with it. Right. That's what I like. And, and I wasn't mean. I just was like, no, I was like, I really can't right now. I just don't want to quote the scripture anymore, (laughs) but it was like in like a not kind way. And I think me vocal, cause she didn't know that I was going through it that morning. I hadn't expressed it to her yet. And I was trying to do it by myself and look what it got me. It got me in an unkind situation. And so I don't know. Thank you. That was actually, that's really well, we also say, like, um, the most quotable thing in dating and when you're like, oh, this is not working. It's like, it's not me. It's you. And as as funny as that is in those scenarios, because you're like, well, it's obviously me. And you're being a total jerk right now. Um, that is one of the greatest pieces of communication that we use is like it's it's truly not you right now it's me and I just need you to know that the way that I am either treating you or disconnecting from you or whatever's going on in my brain in this very moment has nothing to do with you and I'm sorry if you are reaping the repercussions of just being in the same room as me right now or being my spouse um but that is like it's so liberating immediately to be like, okay, I don't have to be defensive. And actually I can take a deep breath and, and be, just be there for my spouse right now and be kind to him or her and make sure that I can, I am doing what I can do or like stepping back and saying less or doing less. Cause sometimes that's, what they need Less to more. Yeah. But I was just thinking presence. that was funny. Present. What is it? It's presence over what's the, uh, like the, the testament or no, the ministry of presence, just like yeah. being in the room. Yeah. Presence. Honestly, over like answers. Yeah. I've learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fix everything, man. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. So I have two questions. I'll start with the first. What is one thing that you would say to yourself, either like when you came to a crossroads in your journey um, or like five, six years ago when, when you were just about to step into this, this battle, if you will? Yeah. Uh, what, would, what would you say to young Mitch? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think, I think a lot of 
I think I'm still learning this. But like people love you. Mm. Um, I think I've had a few moments where I've like cried to Jess where I'm like, they didn't have, I didn't do anything for them. And they did that for me. Like my, like they actually like care for me. Mm. I think, I think like even this, my last birthday, I had friends over and they, we all sat in a circle for an hour, hour and a half and just talked until like midnight. And they all had work the next morning. And I remember walking away being like, they literally just like, we're here to, because they love me. Mm-hmm. I think if I could tell myself six years ago that like, you don't have to earn somebody's love. I think that would be, cause like, mm-hmm. I think forever it was ingrained that like, what I did on the field, my coaches, if I, my coaches loved me for, if I didn't play well, they were mad and I could lose my spot. Um, I think growing up, I, my parents loved me to death. Oh my gosh. My parents loved me to death. Uh, but I think, and this sounds gross, but I was never not good at anything. Mm-hmm. I was always the best at everything. I was the best on the team. I was the smartest in the class. I was, um, and so I kind of just associated, they love me because I am the best. I remember, I remember calling my dad when I was going to quit football and said, will you still love me if yeah. I don't play football? And his response was like, anger. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like I, you could, you could literally go sell gloves for you. <laughs> <laughs> and I would love you. Like, I want you just to be happy. Yeah. And because to me, it's like, I was always introduced as like, cause my parents were proud of me. They would introduce me and talk to me, my parents talk, talk about what I was doing. Yeah. I was this, I represented this board on campus or I was running this on campus or I was doing this here or that there, or, um, I was Dean's list and this and that and the other. And my grandma and grandpa would be like, Oh, my son, my grandson plays football mm-hmm. or my uncle would be like, Oh, my grandson plays football. And now I wasn't going to play football. So do they love me because of that? Yeah. And so I think I would tell myself like, you're okay. Like yeah. you're an okay dude. Like people love you not for the fact that you can catch a football pretty well and then give myself a hug and shove some food in my mouth. (laughs) Some Nashville hot chicken. I am so mad at myself that I did not take full advantage of the time that I was in Nashville with the amount of hot chicken that I missed out on. Oh my goodness. Mitch is a fanatic. I literally bought a deep fryer. Only so that I can perfect my na- my hot chicken recipe. I I have all the perfect flour. It's true. I do. bought fla- specific flour on Amazon. Um, I'm narrowing in the recipe. Hot chicken restaurant coming soon. Uh. <laughs> to be continued. Um, okay. What would you say to someone who is not you? who is either about to walk through this similar journey or is currently walking through uh, 
whether it's an eating disorder or inadequacy or just the innumerable things that you have capitalized on. I want to separate that into two. I want to put the mental health on one and then the becoming a husband on another. Okay. So the mental health, talk to somebody. Uh, the enemy works in the shadows. The whispers are loudest in the shadows. Uh, you don't have someone to call truth and to rebuke lies if you're by yourself. And so you, you sit and you spiral, uh, if you're by yourself, I think that we're called to live in community and the enemy so badly wants us not to, uh, I think as men and women, um, well, the thing is, is mental health is something that is generally at least the, the, the vein of mental health that I wrestle with is a woman's disease. Quote unquote. Quote unquote. If you search anorexia, it'll come up with everything about how it affects the demographic of women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've written, every paper I wrote in college was on eating disorders in men and eating disorders in sports. And you have to dig in like scholarly articles uh, to find, there's nothing on the internet. Uh, there's maybe in the last couple of years, I haven't, written a paper in a couple of years, but I, I would say that the enemy is referred to a multitude of things throughout the Bible, but one of them is the God of this world. Um, and if you look into the, the blue letter of that, it talks about how he then controls the philosophies of the world that we live in today. And so within that, he defines what a man is and what the world says a man is. And the world today says that a man is to do it by themselves, Mm -hmm. to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, rub some dirt in it, suck it up. And I rebuke that uh, because if we're looking at what the word calls a man to be, uh, Jesus walked with 12 other people, 12 other men. And I want to live like Jesus does. Mm -hmm. And so find men to talk to. Find people to talk to, community throughout your church, throughout your softball pickup team, at the rec center when you play basketball, uh, that you can have real conversations with. Yeah. That would be to the mental health side. Uh, As a man, um, everything that you think going into marriage, and I hear me, I've been married for two years, and so I am the furthest thing from a seasoned vet. (laughs) But what the Lord has taught me is that everything that I expected to be as a husband, these, these, these standards, I was like, I need to fit this to be a good husband were deconstructed almost immediately. Uh, I think as I talk to my friends who are getting engaged and they say like, I'm not going to be a good husband. No, you're not. You're not going to be a good husband. Like, and accepting that, like you, like you can't, your standards of what you say a good husband is going to be. I think what makes a good husband is being able to be humble enough to say, I'm not going to get this right. I'm going to say something to my wife that's going to hurt her feelings. And then I'm going to have to learn from that. And I'm constantly in your humanness, in my humanness. I'm going to need to constantly every day. It's like how, like I literally, I have prayer. Like if you were to look at my prayer journal, God, um, 
it, it says more often than not, Lord, teach me today to be what Jess needs today. Mm. Not this rigid structure of a good husband according to what the world says. Um, financially yeah. providing, uh, giving her a house and a car. And then um, you're called to just lead your wife. Um, and you can lead with her by walking. You don't need a nice car to lead her. Uh, and you can lead her by like being vulnerable and crying and giving her permission to do the same uh, and to feel safe to do that. And so I think two years ago today, I would say, hey, shut up. Don't take Netflix shows that you watch and and take those and say that's how I need to be for my wife um, and really just like admit that you're going to every day grow and learn um, yeah. because you don't have it all figured out and you probably never will mm-hmm. and if you do you're in heaven and you're like you're dead because God shared it with you <laughs> <laughs> Or you're Solomon. Or you're Solomon. <laughs> and then you give them a hug and shove some food in their mouth. And then I would give them a hug, pour a shot of tequila. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. No chase. Chase with high fives. Uh, and throw a party. I'm just yeah. kidding. No. <laughs> throw a party. But, yeah, that, that was, yeah, I think... I wish I had that chance, but hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah. And that's what this is for, is I don't have that chance to go back and relive. I think the I have a, I want one day um, to be able to make enough money to fund a team or raise enough money to fund a team to go around to different athletic departments and speak about the importance of mental health. Uh, because I hear more stories than not, more often than not. I hear old teammates. I talk with my old teammates weekly yeah. uh, about how I've had those same conversations with my wife. I'm still wrestling with that. I'm still, it like the evidence is there that this is a, a something that needs to be corrected, and it's not yeah. being corrected. And well, so, what's crazy too is it took them getting married, a lot of them. Yeah. To feel safe enough to share. Because what's they're not, they're going not on being judged by another man. Right. But like how liberating, I know I keep using that word, but like how liberating would it have been if you realized that there were a plethora of men who were walking through the same exact struggles at the same time? At the exact same time as you. You just were too ashamed or too scared or. Too much of a, trying to be too much of a man or whatever the freaking case may be for you to be like, man, I'm struggling with this. Are you struggling with this? And like, can we, can we just stand linked armed together and and fight this together? Um, I wanted to say this really quick. Uh, I know we're, 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 no, we're great. We're we're close to wrapping up. We'll be done here in one second. Uh, I know I capitalized on, on marriage and being kind to your spouse, but like be kind to your parents. Uh, and, and if you are struggling with mental health, 
be be gracious with people who don't understand also yeah. um have mitch said it already but like find community of people who are not just going to be drinking buddies and tell you what you want to hear and pat your back and affirm how much of a man you are but like find people who will who will get in the trenches with you yeah and who care to to hear your heart and maybe that sounds super feminine to you or like i just don't know if i can handle all these emotions get over yourself like (laughs) you're fine and honestly you you need a you need to sit down and and maybe you need to remove alcohol from the equation maybe you need to sit down with a a cup of tea and and talk to somebody about it because you've never had these conversations sober um but i i just encourage you like be honest with your community whether that is your parents or your your group of friends or your spouse like there are so many outlets for you to find freedom and for you to release this shame uh, you don't have to do that just in marriage. Like you can, you can take your your problems to people who who care about you. Yeah, like you are not meant to bear this burden by yourself. And most importantly, you can speak to your Creator about it. Yeah, <laughs> He is not intimidated by any facet of your being, um, even the ugliest stuff that you wish he you you think maybe he doesn't know about. Um, but in his kindness, he knows and still loves you yeah. regardless. And he's given you so many tools to be able to to fight and be kind to yourself. Um, man, I, I tell Mitja every day, I'm like, just be kind to yourself. Be kind in your ears. And I love that, that, that thought stop process because I think that is you being kind to yourself not letting it go any further um, than the the words that were spoken in that in that moment in that breath it's like okay i'm going to i'm going to stop this thought it doesn't get to spiral it doesn't get to have power like and that that is being kind Psych. mic drop all right y'all well this this episode went a little bit longer so if you're still here i thank you for sticking it out and uh, i just i appreciate the opportunity, honestly, to to share my testimony because it's freeing to me. I've had conver- I haven't th- I haven't given my testimony because I've done a lot of hey, tell me yours, and I haven't told mine in a while, and so and it's constantly evolving. And so uh, this was the first episode uh, we have. We've recorded two already, uh, and I'm really excited about them and the stories as they come out. And so next Monday will be episode two. We have an awesome guest already lined up. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Over a Drink Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Over a Drink Podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. 
I'll put it together in a blog format and then resend it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Overdrink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace. Thank you.